Good morning. This moment reminds me of uh, when Mary Pat and I first got married, and I was invited to speak at a church, and I was facing them, much like I am right now, and I said, this reminds me of uh, one of my favorite memory verses. And at that moment, I couldn't remember anything. That wasn't awkward at all. Nor was it traumatizing, even though I'm bringing it up decades later. It did, it probably was just 30 seconds or so, but it seemed like forever. But it's the same scripture that I would share this morning. Paul tells the church, Paul, the apostle Paul, tells the church at Corinth, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in, with much trembling. My message and my preaching are not with wise per, and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And with that, that's my prayer this morning, that this will not, I have no wise or persuasive words to offer you. I have the Word of God. And I'm praying that the Word of God will be used by the Spirit of God to touch our hearts this morning. And with that, let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, our hearts do rejoice this morning. Your love is our reward. Our hope is sure. Christ Jesus, you are ours forevermore. What a promise. Lord, uh, I pray for Pastor Alex today. I pray for the Emmanuel Church congregation there in Massachusetts. I pray for our congregation Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear your word. Give us, Lord, eyes to see the truths in your scriptures and to understand them. Give us hearts, O oh Lord, to believe them. And give us feet, O oh Lord, to walk in your ways. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Uh, what a privilege it is to break open the word here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as we continue in worship, uh, my name is David Ray, and I'm a fellow church member here with you, and it is a blessing to be able to open up God's word with you this morning. If you will turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you're visiting with us, uh, once again, we're just so glad you're here. Uh, it's a real joy and it's an honor uh, to open up the Word of God with my church family. Uh, for the past several months, Pastor Alex has been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been sharing God's kingdom standards with his people. The king... The Lord Jesus has been clearly defined, has clearly defined the standards of his kingdom. In essence, what he's saying is the kingdom citizens look like this. The Sermon on the Mount is not what we must do to be saved. The Sermon on the Mount is what a saved, what saved people begin to look like. And the people who would have been listening at that time, all of them who were gathered on that mountain were totally amazed 
at what they had heard. In fact, if you look at the end of the chapter in verse 28 in chapter 7, it says, And when Jesus had finished, saying, uh, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had, an, had authority, not as their scribes. But as awesome as we could have imagined it, it, that it would have been to hear God himself preach this message, this sermon. Our Lord, as he wraps things up uh, and he's beginning to uh, uh, apply uh, this sermon in these verses, um, make application, he's not looking for platitudes at this point. He's looking for a commitment. And that's what we'll see in these verses today, and we'll see them throughout the rest of this chapter. Uh, he's looking to a commitment not to the law, uh, not to the religion of the day, not to the Judaizers, uh, not to standards that men have been creating for themselves so that they could easily justify themselves by some false righteousness. The Lord Jesus was, was looking for a commitment to follow him and not themselves. And that brings us to our passage in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Very familiar words. These words of our Lord are, are extremely familiar. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Here the Lord brings us to a fork in the road, and, I, and Jesus is looking at the people and he is confronting them with the most critical of all decisions. Uh, I like how one scholar said it. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, it is make up your mind time on the mountain. Or, in similar fashion, Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. Jesus pauses, as it were, uh, as he finishes up the points he's making in this sermon, and he looks at the people and he says, Well, now, there's my purpose. What are you going to do about it? There's no point in listening to this sermon. There's no point, no purpose in having uh, followed me and all this delineation about the Christian life if you're only going to listen. What are you going to do about it? He comes, in other words, to exhortation, to application. And that's what we see in these last several verses of chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. It's application. It's the so what point in the sermon. And it reminds us of different pivotal points in the Old Testament. So here we have a path, Jesus is saying, that one way leads to destruction. The wide gate the easy way leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate with a hard way that leads to life. And so uh, there's, two, there's two choices here. And uh, what would that remind you of in the Old Testament if you think through it? My mind rushes first and foremost to Moses. Remember in Deuteronomy 30, it was Moses who said to the people in Deuteronomy, uh, the second generation, he said, See, I've set before you life and good, death and evil. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. 
And then what about Joshua, the leader who succeeded Moses? What did he say? He said, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was Jeremiah the prophet who heard God say to him in Jeremiah chapter 21, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. How about Elijah? The Mount Carmel experience, the great prophet, when he looked at the people and he said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? I think the ESV says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. We could even look at Psalm 1. Think about Psalm 1. It describes for us the way of the righteous, the blessed man. And it also describes for us the way of the wicked. Two paths. Uh, we have these very clear contrasts. And then that final summarizing verse of Psalm 1, what does it say? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked perish. So there, there's the way of the righteous and there's the way of the wicked. And in all those situations, there's no middle ground at all. And so um, that's not a real popular thing in our culture today. It hadn't been popular uh, at any point, really. Uh, but with all the religions in the world and all the supposed insights to spirituality, it would probably be mind-boggling how many different ways and paths that people have uh, developed in their own understanding and what do we see in God's word today we see in God's word that Jesus shares two paths uh, there's a narrow path with a narrow gate and there's a broad way with a broad gate and those are the only two possibilities it's a contrast between two kinds of righteousness uh, there's a righteousness that does not satisfy God and there's a righteousness that does satisfy God. That's the choice right there. And uh, so there's a narrow way that leads to life. And then there's the broad way with all the other religions that leads to destruction. And I would say it's real important to point out that this broad way is a religious road. Uh, and so uh, as we walk through this passage this morning, pun intended, uh, let's note two entrances, two paths, and two destinations. Uh, chapter 7 uh, is the end, as I shared, of the, with the, of the Sermon on the Mount, and these final sections uh, all serve as application. Today we're talking about which road are you on. Are you on the hard road? Are you on the easy road? In the, in the weeks ahead, Pastor Alex is going to look at uh, what teachers are you going to listen to? The true ones or the false ones? What kind of tree are you? What kind of fruit do you produce, good or bad? What kind of claims do you make, word only or word and deed? What are you building on, the rock or the sand? Really, the final section of Matthew 7 is a call for commitment to Jesus Christ. And so we're starting today, but Pastor Alex is going to unpack this in the weeks ahead. Uh, so let's think first about the two entrance areas. Uh, 
it's important. We were just uh, in seventh and eighth grade uh, Bible study this morning during the quip, and we were talking about the crafty nature of Satan. It's important to note that both of these gates, uh, that you can guarantee that, that that wide gate is marked heaven. Both of them are marked heaven. We need to understand that neither of these gates says hell on it, but one of them is going there. Uh, nobody is selling hell. Uh, no religion says, join our religion and travel the road to hell with us. Nobody says that. They all say heaven, and that is the deception. And so uh, look again at verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So let's start with the wide gate. The gate is wide and it's easy. The gate is so wide that no effort needs to be made to be on this, on it, to get to, to walk through this gate. The, the gate is easy to spot. Anyone can find it. Uh, think big, big neon lights uh, here. Uh, anyone can get through it and it's not a surprise that Jesus tells us that a lot of people are on this path. It's a culturally approved gate. It looks normal. It's the sort of path that nobody among your friends or peers would be surprised to find you on because a lot of people are on this path. It's packed. And it doesn't require sacrifice. In fact, the gate is so wide and it's, uh, the path is so broad that you can take anything you want. You can take all the luggage you possibly want, all your baggage, everything. On this wide road, anything goes. Uh, I like how John Stott says it in his commentary. He said, there's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It's the road of tolerance and permissiveness. This road has no curves, it has no boundaries in either thought nor conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations. That is the desire of the human heart and all of its follies. You don't have to do anything special on this road. Just be yourselves and let others be themselves. Does this sound familiar? 2023? The world loves this road, doesn't it? The world loves this road. And here's the irony. On this road, you think you are free to choose your own path and to make your own way and to set your own rules. Kids sing about it. You probably know the words yourself. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong for me. I'm what? Free. Who sang that? Elsa, Frozen. <laughs> it's the song of the broad road. It is the song of the broad road. But it's an illusion, isn't it? Why? Because this broad road leads to destruction. You think you're cutting a path that will actually lead you somewhere. And what does Proverbs 14, 12 say? It says there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, its way is what? It's death. It's destruction. 
It's the spacious way. Everyone can go in all at once. There's no lines. There's no waiting. Once you're in, it's an easy way. It's the convenient way. It's the way of live and let live. But Jesus tells us where this road goes. It goes to destruction. This is a broad road that leads to eternal punishment, to eternal separation from God forever in hell. And so uh, Jesus speaks a lot about hell. And I think uh, I've read in numerous places that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And when he speaks about hell and why we too must speak about hell, uh, it's important when we're sharing the gospel that people know that there's a broad road that's leading there. Uh, why? Because we do not want anyone to go there. We don't want anyone to go there. We, we tell them because we love them. We tell them with gentleness and respect, but we tell them because we love them. There is a way that leads to death, that leads to destruction. And so Jesus, who is love incarnate, Jesus, who is truth incarnate, he tells us straightforwardly in our passage this morning that the broad road that was so effortless to get on and so effortless to travel, where you make up your own rules and you're independent and you're autonomous and uh, you're doing your own thing, Jesus said those on that broad road are sailing straight for eternal punishment. And here's the shocking word for those who may uh, have uh, been standing right there listening. And many are on it. Many. Maybe the two most shocking words to the people at that time were the words many and few in this passage. Most of us like to believe that most people have a relationship with Christ and therefore have found the narrow road. But it's not true according to Jesus. Many are on the wide road that leads to destruction and few have chosen the narrow way uh, to eternal life. So brothers and sisters, this truth should ignite a burden within us as we walk this narrow way to lovingly pursue those who are headed for destruction and share the gospel. This is our mission. Amen? There are two gates. There's the wide gate, and there's the narrow gate. Let's read our passage again. It's a short passage. We can cover over it this morning. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. When we read the Gospel of John, we see seven statements where Jesus says, I am. You're probably familiar with many of them. In John 10, 9, Jesus says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Later in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
I'm thinking also of Acts 4, 11, and 12 when Peter said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no, under, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I'm thinking of 1 Timothy 2, 5 that says, For there is one God, and one, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are crystal clear that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And so when Jesus says, enter through the narrow door, or the, the parallel passage in Luke 13, uh, enter, enter through the narrow door, he is the door. He is the way. He, it's small, but it's there as a, a, and offered through Jesus Christ. So there's only one way to get in the kingdom. And that is to enter through the small gate, through Jesus Christ. In, a, in this world that is screaming many ways to God, Jesus is saying, don't be fooled by that. Enter through the narrow gate. And so when thinking about narrow gate and the perception of being narrow-minded, I uh, bring up Martin Lloyd-Jones again, and I know you hear his name often. You may be wondering, who is Martin Lloyd-Jones? Martin Lloyd-Jones is arguably one of the great preachers uh, of the 20th century. He's from England. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about the idea of narrowness. A lot of people don't want to be called narrow-minded. Here's what he said. There is no charge which is brought so frequently against, the Christian, against Christian teaching, against the Christian gospel, as the charge of narrowness. Lloyd-Jones went on to say, Many things are said about us as Christians, but I think this is the most common of them all. Things haven't changed a lot over the years, have they? Uh, certainly, the cry in our culture today is Christians are so narrow-minded to think that there is only one way to God. But who came up with this idea, brothers and sisters? It's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said, narrow is the way. Can we tag up for a moment? Let's tag up Martin Lloyd-Jones and allow R.C. Sproul for just a moment. R.C. Sproul would say, when someone says to you, uh, you're saying to me there's only one way? He would say, you're asking the wrong question. He said, the question is not why aren't there more ways to God. The question is, why should God save any of us? Sproul says this. He said, Paul makes it clear in the first chapter of Romans that the entire world, every man, every woman, every child on this planet is exposed to the wrath of God. Every man, woman, and child in the world is in a state of rebellion and hostility to Almighty God. Why would a righteous judge and a holy God be concerned to save any of us? And yet, all throughout the New Testament, we read statements like this, but God, but now, but God. Why does, he, why does he set his love on us? All I can say, brothers and sisters, is he loves us because he loves us. He chose to set his love on us. Let that fall on you this morning. He loves us because he loves us. Can I share a few of those with you? How about at, at, at the end of chapter, the Romans chapter 3? But now 
the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed. Another but God. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Praise God for how he set his love on us while we were yet sinners. Amen. And so our Lord in this passage today, he's saying to us all, he's saying, I have set before you today life and death. I've set before you two ways. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate and so um, when Jesus says enter that word has a sense of urgency about it uh, it's uh, referring to an initial conversion uh, the Christian it tells us that the Christian life must be entered into intentionally uh, so uh, this is time for commitment from the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, enter through the narrow gate, uh, I think the King James Version uh, would say, enter through the straight, and ga the straight gate. It's where we get the term, uh, uh, he follows the straight and narrow way. We still use that today. Uh, it's not talking about a straight line. He's talking about a geographical like the Strait of Gibraltar, how the, the, the land comes to a real narrow area. And so... Uh, so he says, enter through the narrow gate. And it's, he tells us it's difficult. It's something difficult to do. Uh, and, you know, uh, Christians, Christianity, we have our paradoxes. And in one sense, responding to the gospel is simple. But as you read further, we see that there's something very difficult about it as well. Uh, in uh, the parallel passage in Luke 3, uh, 13 Jesus says strive to enter through the narrow door uh, that word strive in the Greek is the word you can hear the English in this uh, agonizomai that's the David Ray Greek pronunciation agonizomai and you can hear uh, the word agony uh, the word could mean contend struggle strive to enter through that door it means strain with every nerve uh, uh, so how do we enter through that narrow gate? Uh, Mark 1, Jesus says uh, uh, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, probably the theme of the, the gospel of Mark, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so... Uh, what is required? Repentance and faith. Uh, repentance and faith. Repent and believe. And so Jesus uh, says it a different way in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. Uh, Arthur Pink uh, unpacks this verse beautifully. Um, but some of the things that he said, uh, he said the Christian life begins with self-renunciation and continues with self-mortification. Uh, he says, uh, what does it mean to deny himself? When the Lord said we must deny himself, if we're going to enter through that narrow gate, it signifies the complete repudiation of our own goodness. It signifies the complete renunciation of our own wisdom or our own strength or our own will. Uh, one scholar said we walk through, this isn't a wide gate, this would be more like a turnstile. It's tight. And uh, I, I read one who said we walk in naked. We bring nothing with us. Uh, it is trusting in Christ and Christ alone. We renounce all lust and fleshly desires. We trust in Jesus for our righteousness. And uh, we have that begging poor heart that God, uh, uh, that is uh, described in uh, uh, Matthew 5, have mercy on me, O God, as a, as a begging poor pauper. Uh, Lord, have mercy on me the sinner uh, and so trusting that Jesus perfectly obeyed all the righteous requirements of the law we understand that we need a righteousness outside ourselves, and we depend totally on Jesus Christ for all of our righteousness his blood shed on the cross for our sins his righteous life lived perfectly and imputed to us given to us Horatius Bonner I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I sure like a lot of his hymns. He says it beautifully, the heart that's, that's needed to walk through that narrow gate. Here's what he says. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. There's six, but I have to read two more. I'll stop there. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Amen. How about the next one? Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. That is the heart of, what, of a man who enters through the narrow gate. And so... There are two paths, there are two gates, and there are two paths. And we've talked a little about the wide gate with the easy path. Uh, entering into the narrow gate leads to a hard path. And I think it's important that we know that the gate is tied to a path. The gate is tied to a path. Uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that there's a race that is set before us that we, and that race has a finish line. But there, it's not just a one-time decision where we say, I prayed this prayer and now I don't, I don't have a path to walk. 
we must remember not only for our sakes, but also when we're sharing the gospel with others. The gospel message is not simply pray a prayer and have your sins forgiven. The message of the gospel is to embrace Christ in such a way that we follow him for the rest of our lives. That is the heart of one who's walking on that narrow path. And brothers and sisters, I've just seen it for many years, and maybe you have too, where there are multitudes of professing Christians who've been sold a lie when it comes to their eternal destinies. Many have been told as long as they prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle or talked to a person or signed a card that their salvation is complete with no repentance or with no striving to walk in holiness. There are many who are deceived that are on the broad road and they think they're on the narrow way. Um, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That word hard uh, is uh, used as translated as narrow in some translations. Uh, it means compressed, constricted. Sometimes that same word is used for persecution in the New Testament. So the way's difficult. Uh, with getting in, uh, there is urgency. And once you, uh, uh, the path doesn't just open right up into this easy path. It's, uh, it's constricted as well. And so uh, you can remember in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, it says, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So those who enter the kingdom of heaven enter a, na a gate that's narrow and a life that's full of hardship and persecution. Uh, remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or the next verse. Blessed are those of you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. So what is our Lord saying here? At the beginning of the sermon, Jesus is saying you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness, sake, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And at the end of the sermon, what's he saying? He's saying enter the narrow gate, a gate that's filled with persecution and hardship. Why? Because at the end of the road, there is life. And what's another way of saying life? The kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes to the close of the sermon and brings you all the way back to the beginning. And so um, not every part of the path is hard. But it's hard. It's part of the story. And everyone needs to know that. But at the same time, I think of Psalm 1611. What does Psalm 1611 say? It says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So while the path is hard, we have the Lord and we have the joy of walking with the Lord. We have his spirit with us. 
And so um, we see clearly in this text today that we have uh, two gates and we have two paths and we have finally two destinies. And so I've mentioned the destiny of the wide road, the eternal punishment forever in hell. What about the narrow way? Uh, the narrow way leads to life. It leads to eternal life. It leads to abundant life. It leads to heaven and bliss. Uh, no matter how much sacrifice you make here for his namesake, it will, be, it will come back on you 30, 60, or 100 fold. For at the end of the hard path is life eternal in heaven with Jesus forever. Forever and ever. Uh, uh, it will be life like Rex shared uh, about last month when he quoted from C.S. Lewis in the last battle so beautifully. Uh, and only at the end of this road are we forever experiencing that, uh, that bliss. So I, I think of this passage and I think about how good it is to, um, to consistently do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, uh, examine yourself. Jesus is saying, enter through the narrow gate. Walk the, the hard road that leads to life. Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Here again, we ask Martin Lloyd-Jones to be helpful to us. And here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand and you have to address yourself and preach to yourself and question yourself and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. This isn't just self-reflection. Uh, this is remembering the promises of God. This is remembering who God is, what God has done. And, uh, and this truth talk, as we could call it, is so important. Why? Why is that? Because every one of us in here, we're so easily deceived by lies. Uh, because our feelings are unreliable. Because our sin threatens to overwhelm us at times. Uh, because our hearts threaten to deceive us at times. Um, I think of the way David finished uh, Psalm 139. What did he say? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And to the extent that we see fruit of the gospel in our lives, we ought to rejoice and praise God for his grace and mercy in that. Uh, here's the good news this morning for you. Endurance is evidence of your salvation. It is evidence of your salvation. It's not evidence that you've earned it. Remember Philippians 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. But brothers and sisters, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. My endurance along, with, along the path of life is not an indicator that I'm doing well and that I'm holding on to Christ. It's an indicator that Christ is still holding on to me. He's still holding on to me. And so uh, remaining 
continuing, striving. Be encouraged this morning to press on, to press on, as Paul would say, in his might and in his strength and in his power for the glory of the Lord because there will be a day. There will be a day of life eternal. Life eternal forever and ever. We will always be with the Lord and experiencing things that we can't even begin to imagine. And so with that, be encouraged and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for you, Lord, for making a way for us. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. All praise and honor and glory be unto you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.